what's going on everybody and welcome to episode 47 of the first and foremost sports podcast i am your host jimmy Covington, and i'm joined by my guy the one and only quentin douglas what's going on everybody man quentin how you doing man man i'm doing pretty good bro how about you can't even complain, man. Went to the dentist a little early, you know, got a little work done. Got to keep the, the pearly whites clean, man. I already know. High maintenance for sure. Yes, sir. You already know. But let's go ahead, get, go ahead and get started here. We have a loaded docket for you guys today. So, Quinn, let's go ahead and start it off. A I few nights ago, a talented, yes, sir. A few nights ago, talented guard Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets uh, went down and what was found out to be a torn ACL on his left knee. So, Quinn, what impact will Jamal Murray's injury have on the Western Conference and the Nuggets' playoff hopes? Yeah, man, for one, thoughts go out to Jamal Murray. Uh, You know, he's one of the best players in the league. But, you know, at the time of his injury, the Nuggets currently sit at fourth in the Western Conference. But, you know, with his injury, he's slated to be out nine to 12 months. He's basically out the rest of this season and he probably won't be back to close to the postseason next year but uh you know it's really unfortunate because i saw part of that game and when he got injured it basically was over uh because that was actually the game steph dropped 50 the other night which we'll get into that later but the nuggets even as a team you know outside that game they were in the middle of a rough patch uh they've been losing quite a few games so, you know, like I said, just really bad timing all around for such a devastating injury. But, you know, I really expect him to come back stronger. You know, he's played through a lot of minor, small, uh, tiny injuries over the past few years of his career. But, you know, hopefully with this injury, he'll be able to come back 100%. Uh, you know, he's just now really entering his prime, still just 23 years old, going into his sixth season next year. And, you know, just this year, coming off all the momentum he had last year in the bubble, you know, putting up 50 points on dudes. Uh, And, you know, this year he was shooting 40% from three and 87% from the free throw line. And along with his teammate, Nikola Jokic, he was having an MVP caliber season also. Um, And you have to expect with, Jamal Murray's injury, Michael Porter Jr. should see a huge increase in shots now. So uh, I definitely don't think anybody would want to see the Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs. But with Jamal Murray's injury, they're no longer title contenders. I definitely agree with you. It's very unfortunate. And a press grout to Jamal Murray. Hopes he come back, comes back uh, bigger and better than ever. Uh, but they are currently sitting at the four seed. Or the one game ahead of lot of the Lakers uh, for the four C right now. So as as it stands, if the season, if the postseason was to start today, they would play the Lakers in round one, and that's definitely not something they would want to do. So what I so with you know with the Nuggets, if they do happen to fall, I don't think none of those spots are ideal. I mean, if you fall to to six, then you know you're playing somebody like the Phoenix, not playing somebody like the Clippers uh, without you. And like I said, you won't have Jamal Murray. Uh, if you fall to seven, then you're playing the Phoenix Suns. If you fall to eight, then you're playing the Utah Jazz. And then, like I said, if you stay at four or go to five, you're probably going to end up playing the Lakers. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation uh, either where they fall, anywhere they decide to fall. So I definitely don't see them making a deep playoff run. I'm thinking it's going to be one and done this year. Uh, I could see them losing to four or five, 
maybe six games in the first round, you know, and I, their title hopes for this year are definitely done. I mean, like you said, I do expect Michael Porter Jr. to get his fair share of shots. I expect Nikola Jokic, you know, to – he's already running the offense, but I expect him to have a higher usage rate uh, going towards the end of the season. Uh, Monte Morris is going to have to step up. And I, I saw they were in talks with Austin Rivers earlier today, so they could bring him in. Maybe that'll help with the load, you know, in terms of initiating the offense and trying to fill the void in terms of the scoring. Uh, but Jamal Murray was balling out this year. He was averaging a career high in points, steals per game, field goal percentage, and three-point field goal percentage. So he was definitely balling out. It's a big loss for the Denver Nuggets. And like I said, I think their season is basically over. I don't see them beating any of those top four, four teams, four or five teams in the first round without Jamal Murray. Yeah. You know, we're pretty much on the same page, like you said. Uh, at least their hopes are hoisting the Lombard or <laughs> – I was about to say Lombardi. Uh, Larry O'Brien trophy are pretty much erased at this point. But, you know, we've seen teams before. You know, everybody's quick to count them out once a star player gets injured. But we've seen teams that are well coached and they still have enough depth where they rally around each other. And, you know, they still could possibly pull out a deep playoff run. You know, teams like maybe the Celtics a few years ago, um, you know, when they were without Kyrie Irving. But, you know, I definitely believe Jamal uh, Murray, he's a talented player. I definitely see – I hate to see an injury like this happen to such a talented player. Uh, I even remember watching the game. uh, You know, he was just in so much pain. You could hear him holler out. And, you know, they had to cut the mic off. But, um, like you said, the game was pretty much over. And you you really can't avoid injuries like that, which, you know, that's something else I want to touch on. Also, just league-wide, the increased number of injuries this season, uh, especially, you know, soft tissue injuries, they've just, you know, really ravished a lot of players this year. Definitely is. And it's due, you know, due to the lack of time to rest and lack of preparation time, you know, Think about the teams like the Lakers and the teams that went in the Miami Heat teams that went far. You basically, you know, had a couple months off and then you back at it full force. So I think that definitely heavily contributes to the to the the plethora of soft tissue injuries that we've seen this year. And I think that was something that was expected. Or for in my opinion, I feel like that's something that should have been expected, especially with how many games those guys play, uh, the the kind of schedule they have. You know, practices, team flights. You know getting out of getting to new destinations at 4 or 5 a.m., then having shooting rounds, all that stuff is going to take a toll on your body. And unfortunately, you know, for Jamal Murray, you know, that that probably was, you know, a contributor to the injury or it could have just been, you know, fate or destiny. But either way, like I said, I wish him the best going forward for sure. And, you know, fortunately, uh, especially over the past few years, we with the medical technology the way it is now, We've been able to see, you know, some players, they'll bounce back from torn ACL. Uh, You know, look at Russell Westbrook. He came back better than ever, won the MVP. Look at Zach Levine from my Chicago Bulls. He tore his ACL. And, you know, now he's emerged into an all-star player. So, definitely, I wouldn't ride off Jamal Murray. Uh, He's a talented player, and, you know, players with that drive, you know, they'll always be motivated to come back better than they were before those injuries. So Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned drive 
and you mentioned injuries, and this guy we're going to talk about next here. Uh, in 2019, only played five games, uh, but he's back this year, and uh, he's looking every bit as the guy he was a few years ago when he was the first player ever to win unanimous MVP. And we're talking about Stephen Curry here. Uh, Quinn, do you believe that Stephen Curry is a transcendent player? Ah, oh, man. So, you know, I really don't understand the Steph Curry hate. And I don't I don't know exactly where you're going to go with this yet, but I feel like I might have an idea. Uh, but I know at least, you know, first I'll start with this season. You know, The Warriors without Klay Thompson, they haven't had the greatest season. They're under 500. Uh, but specifically with Steph Curry this season, they're 24 and 21, but without him, they're one and seven. And, you know, even despite that, Steph Curry's averaging 30 this season. Uh, he's averaging five and a half rebounds, six assists, and he's actually still seventh in PER, which shows that even on, you know, as a team, they might not be winning basketball games but Steph Curry is still as just as impactful of a player that we have in the league um and you know over his last seven games specifically he's been going crazy um you know he has games of 32 36 41 32 38 and then most recently Monday night the 53 point game where he actually passed Will Chamberlain to become the Warriors all-time leading scorer uh, so just looking at his career as a whole, the only point guard that I would definitively definitively take, that's a big word, <laughs> that I would definitively take over Steph Curry is probably Magic Johnson. Um, you know, Steph Curry, as a player, he's revolutionized offenses. He's changed the way the league views three-point shots. Um, and, you know, we look at his three-point shooting, but really he's a sniper from everywhere on the floor. Uh, he's changed spacing on the floor, you know, basically bringing defenses out to have to guard him as soon as he crosses half court. And, you know, even his IQ, uh, his IQ is through the roof. His off-ball movement is a very underrated part of his game. You know, that's how he finds himself open on a lot of his three-point looks. And, we even look at, you know, Kevin Durant went to the Warriors a few years ago and we were like, oh, well, KD just went in, took the reins, the best player on the team. But in my opinion, you know, the Warriors will always Steph Curry's franchise, always will be. And in my book, I have him down as a transcendent player. To answer the question in short, uh, he's definitely – a transcendent player. He's the greatest shooter that's ever walked this that has ever walked God's green earth. I don't think there's no debate about that. He's a three-time champion, two-time MVP, unanimous MVP. He's the only one ever in league history. Seven-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA performer. He's a part of the 50-40-90 club. Uh, this year is averaging, like you said, 30 points, almost six rebounds and six assists, 48.5% from the field, 41% from three. It's Per usual, 90% from the free throw line, per usual. The man is is a monster. I mean, I'm I'm with you in terms of point guard rankings. The only play, player I might would take point guard I might would take over him is Magic Johnson. And we know what Magic Johnson has done for the game of basketball. But Steph has changed the game, like you mentioned, with the three-point shot. 
his range is once he walks half court, steps across half court, uh, that's within his range. So you have literally have to defend him once he steps half crosses half court. And we've seen him shoot from behind half court too against OKC. I'm sure you remember that shot a few years ago in the clutch. Uh, Dude, but is, from the locker room. Yeah, that man is a certified sniper. If we've ever seen one on the court, and just to talk about his efficiency as a shooter, he's never shot under forty six percent from the field. And last time he did that was his rookie year. Uh, he's never shot less than forty one percent from three, and he's never shot less than eighty percent from the free throw line. And that's besides last year when he only played five games. So. The man has been um, the model of consistency in terms of, you know, shooting efficiency. And just night in and night out, he puts on a show. I know every time I tune in Steph Curry, he's going to do something that makes your jaw drop. And so, yes, he is a transcendent player, definitely. You know what? I actually thought you was going to bash Steph Curry. <laughs> nah, I'm not. Nah, he's a, mon- he a monster. I can't take nothing from him. All right, all right, all right. You didn't graduate a little bit. <laughs> can't take nothing from him. I, you know, can't take nothing from him. The man's a monster. But moving on yeah, here no to our next topic, Quentin. In the Eastern Conference, there's a lot of great players here. You know, you got Kevin Durant, James Harden, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, you know, Kyrie Irving, and the list goes on. You know, Brad Beal, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, all those guys, DeMontis Sabonis. So, Quentin, who, in your opinion, is the best player in the Eastern Conference right now? Man, you know – it really, it was really a tough decision for me. I'll be honest. Uh, the East, really talent-wise, at least at the top, is loaded. But I had to, I had to stick with Kevin Durant, who's still, in my opinion, uh, you know, when all the money's on the table, is the second best player on the planet Earth right now, behind D. LeBron James. Uh, but Kevin Durant this year, albeit only 21 appearances, is only putting up 28 points on 53% shooting from the field and 44% shooting from the three-point range. That's as a seven-footer. You know, it's no questioning at this point. Kevin Durant's an all-time great. There's no questioning his resume, especially now he got, you know, some rings on his finger. But, you know, this season alone, or at least, you know, since the uh, 2019 NBA Finals, the only question mark right now would be his ability to stay healthy. Um, and I still have to give the edge to KD over players like Giannis and Embiid because just in my book, they still have more to prove in the NBA postseason. And then James Harden, hats off to him. He's the best offensive player, I would say, in the Eastern Conference right now. And then I put Giannis as the best all around. But, you know, overall, Joel Embiid is probably the MVP this year. I'm right I'm right with you. I also have Kevin Durant as the best player in the Eastern Conference. You mentioned 28 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 53% from the field, 44% from three-point range. Has only played in 22 games, but I, you know, I think, you know, once I've seen in recent years, it's been a pattern when guys come off of major injuries like an ACL and Achilles, uh, the following season, whenever they do get back healthy, they typically suffer from some soft tissue injuries like hamstrings, calves, and stuff like that. And I think that's what, I think that's what's kept Kevin Durant from playing, you know, as many games as he probably should be playing at this point. It's been soft tissue injuries. I know you, 
we mentioned the half hamstring. I think he's missed time with a calf as well. So that was kind of to be expected. Uh, but like I said, yeah, he's still he's still the best in the conference. I mean, like you say, he's the second best player in the world right now behind LeBron James, of course. Uh, he can do everything at a high level. He's gotten a lot better as a passer uh, from what you know he initially was in Oklahoma City. He's always been ultra efficient. He's been the ultimate go get a bucket guy. Uh, he's played, you know, he's played defense, you know, at a at a at a solid level this year. He's been one of the better on ball defenders this year. He's yeah, technically actually surprise. rated, yeah, he's actually rated higher as an on ball defender than Ben Simmons is, and I would consider Ben Simmons uh, probably the best defender in basketball. So Kevin Durant has been able to do it, you know, effectively on both ends for a long time, and, and it just seems like you know when it comes to his scoring prowess, it's like. The game is just—it's just entirely too easy. I don't—I don't think we'll ever see a player with his skill set at his at his size. He's about six eleven, so he's about Giannis in eighties height. Uh, but his arms are longer than both of those guys, and he has guard skills in terms of his ball handling. There's nobody in the game, or even I think in history, that can actually guard that man one on one. That man is a monster, and you know he mentioned he's just trying to see how good he can get as a player. That's what his his goal is. He said championships are nice. But he wants to know how good he can get as a player. And, you know, with the the tools that he's been given, uh, the sky is definitely a limit for Kevin Durant. Even though he's, you know, he's already over 30. Uh, but we've seen guys continue continue to get better, uh, i.e. LeBron James. He's gotten a lot better uh, as he's gotten older. His game has become well more well-rounded offensively. Uh, he's still able to play defense at a high level when he needs to. So, you know, I'm expecting Kevin Durant just to continue to improve and, and show why, you know, in playoff time, I expect him to show why. He is the best player in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, man, 100%. And, you know, while we're talking about KD, he got into some beef with Unk, didn't he, uh, a couple of days ago? He did. He got into some beef with Unk, and then he went on to drop over. He went on to drop 30 points four hours later on 70% shooting. <laughs> yeah, just just another night, just another day in the office with KD. Uh, so, exactly. you know, and I think really – both of us being on board with that segues right inside next topic. It definitely does. So, you know, the Brooklyn Nets ha- are the overwhelming favorite uh, to make it to the NBA Finals out of the Eastern Conference, and they probably are the favorite to win a championship, win it all this year, and rightfully so with the amount of talent they have. Also, Quentin, from the Eastern Conference, who you think is more likely to make the Finals, the Brooklyn Nets or the field, and by the field, I mean, you know, the rest of the playoff teams in their conference. You know, this was actually kind of tough for me, but I'm still rolling with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, at this point for me, the only thing really that can stop the Nets is injuries. And to be honest, that's really been their only question mark so far. Uh, their big three of KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, I mean, we haven't seen a big three like that really in the history of the NBA, uh, including the Miami uh, Heatles. But, you know, they've been lauded for having a bad defense. But, uh, you know, historically to win a championship, one of the prerequisites is, you know, at worst having a top 10, top 11 defense. But, you know, we found out recently Pretty much the number one ingredient that you need in the in the playoffs or postseason uh, is shot creation, and you know when it comes to these three guys, they they do that at a historic level. Um, and you know, looking at their their statistics, 
actually Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving all fall at first, fourth, and seventh place this season when it comes to isolation scoring efficiency. Um, and even in clutch games, which we know how important that is in the playoffs also, uh, since they've gotten James Harden, they've won 11 out of their 14 clutch games. So, you know, combining their offensive talent, you have Kyrie, who is the best ball handler probably in NBA history. Um, and then, you know, behind Steph Curry, who we talked about earlier, he's probably as good as it gets when it comes to combination of shooting and ball handling in the NBA uh, and finishing as well nowadays. And then you make the case for James Harden. Um, at this point in his career, he's probably the best pure point guard in the NBA, given his elite level of playmaking skills. And then we've talked about Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, Durantula is virtually unguardable, so his game speaks for itself. Uh, but actually, I looked at the lineup of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, KD, Joe Harris, and Jeff Green when those five are on the floor together. Once again, small sample size, but they're plus 17 per 100 possessions, uh, which actually would give them a top five defense. Once again, small sample size, but in the postseason, if they can get their chemistry together, uh, this could be a dangerous team. And, you know, for me, I believe they also have the largest margin of error considering, once again, just how talented the three superstars are. I definitely think it's Brooklyn. And I it, it wasn't a hard decision for me. I don't think there's no team in the NBA that's built to defend uh, what the Brooklyn Nets can throw at you. You got three guys that can get you 40 to 50 on any given night in very few shot attempts. We've seen it. We've seen Kyrie do it. We've seen Kevin Durant do it. We've definitely seen James Harden do it. And Joe Harris is arguably, you know, one of, is one of the three, four best shooters in the NBA. Uh, so is Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving is efficient. James Harden, like you said, is probably the best pure point guard in the NBA. I think, you know, what James Harden has been, has been doing has kind of been swept under the rug a little bit. That man has been balling out this year. Uh, James Harden is averaging 25 points, 8 rebounds, and 11 assists per game. He leads the NBA in assists, and he's Leading third in triple-doubles. Right? Yep, and he's third in triple-doubles. So the man the man is a monster. Like you said, we know what Kevin Durant is. We know what Kyrie Irving is. I don't think, you know, I think the thing for them is going to be defense. Uh, but even defensively, they've improved vastly. Uh, you know, uh, I looked at some numbers early, and it looks like they're about 13th uh, in defensive efficiency, uh, which is more than solid enough to get the job done, considering the talent they have offensively. Uh, so, you know, I don't, you know, outside of maybe Miami and Philly, there's nobody else in the Eastern Conference that can compete with them. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the only reason there was some doubt in my mind, the fact that the other option was the field. And as you mentioned, Miami, Philadelphia, uh, either of those teams, I could see if Brooklyn stumbles, you know, whether it be chemistry, we mentioned injuries, because we still haven't seen uh, all three of these guys really much on the floor together all at once. So, you know, like we said, Miami's a team. They've been there, done that. We just saw them go to the NBA Finals in the bubble last postseason. Uh, Philadelphia, 
They've had their growing pains. They were Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater away from the Eastern Conference Finals just two years ago. Um, and, you know, they're much improved this year with Doc Rivers in town. You know, Ben Simmons, arguably defensive player of the year. We talked about Joel Embiid, albeit he's coming off a knee injury. So, you know, hopefully he's back to at least close to 100% for the postseason. Uh, but at the end of the day, I just don't see anybody that can stack up with the monster that Brooklyn has assembled together. Yeah, I definitely – yeah, I had it. Like I said, it was a, a rather easy decision for me. To be honest, no disrespect to other teams out there, but I just don't think, you know, nobody else in the Eastern Conference has enough to contend with the juggernaut and, they have. And I still don't trust Milwaukee. I don't. They're, I mean, outside of Ed and Drew Holiday, they're essentially the same team. Uh, and it looks like Giannis is essentially th- the same player that he's been in years past. So until the playoff time come and I see him, you know, at the end of the game play like more than a center at the end of the game, then, you know, I c- maybe I can roll with Milwaukee. But until then, they're not a real contender in my eyes. Fact. But, but we're going to move on to our next topic here. We're sticking with the NBA. So Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban says that the play-in tournament is a mistake. Quinn, what are your thoughts on the play-in tournament, and do you agree with Mark Cuban? Yeah, so I actually saw that, uh, I guess, Luca was the one who actually said something about the play-in tournament first. And so I'm under the assumption that Mark Cuban, oh, excuse me, that Mark Cuban was just taking his side and agreeing with him. Uh, but, you know, now to come out and complain about it at this moment in the season and considering the fact that the Mavericks are currently the seventh seed in the West, it's a bit hypocritical. Uh, you know, like I said, they're, it's pretty ironic they're complaining about it while they're the seventh seed in the West. But, you know, looking at the play-in tournament, the way it's set up now, so it's going to be a little bit different from the way it was set up in the bubble last year. So the seven seed will play the eight seed. The winner will be in the playoffs as the seven seed. Then you'll have the nine and the 10 seed play against one another. The loser goes home. The winner will then play the loser from the seven to eight seed game. And the winner of that game will then be in the playoffs as the eight seed. So essentially, let's say you're um, a seven seed. If you lose two games, you're going home, basically. That's how the new play-in tournament is going to be set up. And then on the flip side, if you're a 10 seed, you could win two games in a row and you're in the playoffs as an eight seed. So, you know, I'm kind of split on it. It definitely has its positives and negatives. Uh, You know, just looking at it as a fan, it had gotten to the point where the end of the regular season pretty much had no significance. Uh, We pretty much knew where teams were going to be placed. Uh, Players began taking nights off to rest to actually start the playoffs, even teams that were in the six through eight seeds. And now, you know, this pretty much gives teams extra incentive to race up and actually get into those top six seeds just so you can avoid that. But, you know, on the flip side, 
Um, and this is something that Mark Cuban brought up in his argument. You know, the real issue this year uh, is the scheduling, the NBA scheduling, and having to compress it because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you know, actually, it's gone from where last year, NBA teams averaged 3.42 games a week. But uh, this year, uh, it's gone up to 3.6. And after the All-Star break, it's actually gone up to 3.75. So essentially now, teams are pretty much guaranteed to play four games a week. And, you know, in some stretches, teams are playing four games and five nights. So it's definitely a brutal schedule, nonetheless, uh, nonetheless. And, you know, another part Mark Cuban brought up was that he believes it should be one through 20 uh, instead of each conference one through eight. It should be an interconference one through 20 with still the bottom four playing a play-in tournament, which is where I believe is, his argument's a bit hypocritical uh, in that regard. But ultimately, I'm all for the play-in tournament. I just – I believe they should just suck it up and get a top six seed. To answer your question, to answer the question, I do agree it's a mistake. I didn't like it from the jump. It's, I mean, it's entertaining from a fan's perspective. Uh, but you're just rewarding teams that simply weren't good enough during the regular season. And I'm I'm not with it. I'm not re- I'm not for rewarding losers. You weren't good enough in the regular season, so you don't deserve an opportunity to play in the play in the playoffs. That's how it's always been. You know, a spot in the playoffs shouldn't be determined by if you had two bad days or not. Obviously, you played well enough to earn that seed during the regular season, so you should be given that seed. That's just how it's always worked, and so I definitely don't agree with it. Like I said, you're rewarding losers. Uh, it's just this. It's just that simple for me. I don't agree with the premise of rewarding losers again. I mean, get teams like the Grizzlies, you know, who are fighting the Warriors. I mean, it's simple. I mean, I don't care that Steph Curry is, is on the Warriors. Uh, if his team's not good enough to be in the playoffs, then his team's just not simply good enough. It is what it is. And it's just, just how I feel about it. It's very but, easy to answer for me. But is there that big of a drop-off? Between those teams who were in the nine and ten seed spots, as opposed to the seven and eight, because I mean, it's not what it's not. You got the you got the Warriors, maybe like the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, teams like that. The Kings. I mean, they're they're always pretty much right in a interchange with each other. It's it's not it's not a big of drop off at all. But like I said, you simply weren't good enough to secure a top AC, so I don't feel like you should be rewarded or given the opportunity to try to earn AC at the very last minute. I, I don't agree with that at all. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. But, I mean, even sometimes, you know, it could come down to the final game of the season because uh, who was it last year? Was it the Grizzlies and the Trailblazers, if I'm not mistaken? Um, and maybe, like, even the Pelicans. Like, it was a handful of teams who all were in the running for the play-in games, like coming up to the last game of the regular season. So, like I said, I don't think there'll be more of a drop-off. And if anything, with more teams with the seeds like that, you have more fan bases who are engaged and more teams and more players 
who is who are still engaged throughout the duration of the regular season. And I and I get that. That's a solid point. Uh, but still, I don't know. It's just I, I'm bullish on that. I just don't. I don't see the purpose of a play in. Like I mean, like I said, it's entertaining. Uh, creates more intrigue. Uh, for the bottom seeds of each conference, you know, when it comes down to, you know, the end of the regular season. Uh, but still, it's just like, you know, I worked hard all year long to secure. I mean, think about the Western Conference, how tough the Western Conference is. You work hard going through hell every single night playing the best teams in the league. And you're one of those those eight best teams in your conference just to have to play, you know, a team that, that was worse than you uh, record-wise and, you know, you could possibly, you know, have your spot taken because you had two bad days. And I, I just don't – I just don't simply don't agree with that. Yeah, man. I mean, I definitely get what you're saying. But, you know, I mean, with that same argument, the last night of the regular season, you could be eight seed, a team behind you nine seed, and that night you off and you happen to lose and they win. And just like that, you out. I mean, I, this, it just is what it is. That mean, you slipped up. You didn't have much margin for error, and you happened to slip up. So the team that that took advantage of your slip up got in. I'm cool with that happening. I'm just not cool with, you know what I'm saying, even though you weren't good enough in the regular season, I'm going to give you an opportunity when you had 70 games uh, to show that you were one of those eight, those top eight teams. I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. But we can we can agree to disagree on that. I, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on that. I I didn't like this. I mean, it was like I said, it was entertaining, but I didn't even like the play in tournament idea last year. I felt like you know it was. I felt like it was just for ratings. I didn't feel like it was just pure basketball. And I, like I said, I'm cool oh, yeah. with the, everything for ratings. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with the top eight C format. If you're just not good enough to secure a top eight C, then you shouldn't be a playoff team. Just that simple. Yeah, for sure. And plus, who needs two thirds of the league all eligible for the playoffs? That's what I'm saying. That's why I don't. <laughs> that's why I don't like it. You know, it's been eight teams in each conference for as long as I can remember. So I mean, why why change? Why even try to change that now, or even change the format on how you get get to those to be one of those eight teams? It should be the same. It's worked out in years past, so I don't see no reason to change it. No doubt. They always say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. But moving on to our last topic here, we're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to move on to the NFL. Longtime New England Patriot wide receiver Julian Edelman uh, was released by the New England Patriots, and he's expected to retire after 11 seasons. Quinn, what are your thoughts on Julian Edelman's career, and is he a Hall of Famer? Look, man, it ain't no way in the world Julian Edelman to be putting on a gold jacket or let alone have a bust of his face put in Canton, Ohio. That just shouldn't happen. Uh, You know, with all due respect, he was an 11-year vet, three-time Super Bowl champ, even one-time Super Bowl MVP. Uh, You know, had a decorated postseason career. He definitely belongs in the New England Patriots ring of honor, if nothing else. But NFL Hall of Fame, no, I just I just can't. That just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, you know, unfortunately, this offseason, he failed the physical with the Patriots. Uh, you know, throughout his career, he's really had a long history of injuries, unfortunately. But, like I said, his postseason resume speaks for itself. Um, he 
had, you know, three really huge Super Bowl performances against the Seahawks. He went for nine receptions, 109 yards, along with the game-winning touchdown. And, you know, he pretty much got concussed on that touchdown reception against the Seahawks. Uh, and then followed that up, the comeback, of, of course, against the Falcons. He only went for five receptions, 87 yards. And we all remember that shoelace catch in the fourth quarter, as I mentioned during that comeback. And then against the Rams, which that was a snoozer of a Super Bowl. I don't know if you really remember that one. Wasn't too many points scored. But Julian Edelman went for 10 receptions, 141 yards, and actually went home with Super Bowl MVP. Uh, so, you know, coming from a seven-round draft pick to Super Bowl MVP, he's second most in New England Patriots history with receptions at 620. He has the fourth most receiving yards in Patriots history. Um, and then for the postseason, he's only second to Jerry Rice in yards. So he's definitely, definitely had a decorated career. But, you know, a lot of that's just attributed to the Patriots being a winning organization and him having numerous opportunities uh, to be on that stage. Because uh, looking at his numbers, he's 156 the whole time in receiving yards. And, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. hadn't played in like five years, and he's still ahead of Julian Edelman when it comes to receiving yards. So I just believe when you have a guy like Hans Ward, who isn't in, in Canton, Ohio, you definitely shouldn't have Julian Edelman. So for me... Uh, congratulations to him on a successful career. Uh, three Super Bowls, as you mentioned. Super Bowl MVP, one of the most prolific receivers in playoff history. He's second in receptions, yards, and 100-yard games. He's fifth in receptions in Super Bowl games and fourth in yards in Super Bowl games. Uh, he's one of seven receivers to win Super Bowl MVP. He's the only player to have multiple 20-reception postseason campaigns. He's one of three players to have 300-plus yards in multiple postseasons, and he's been to the postseasons 10 times. So he's been a part of some great teams in New England. We know what they've been able to do. But like you said, his numbers, regular season numbers, just don't – they simply don't add up, not to, to Hall of Fame material. Like you said, he's 156th in yards, only has 36 touchdowns, uh, and has 620 catches in 137 games. Now, I'm going to tell you some names of guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame who have much better numbers than he does. I'm going to start it off with Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, <laughs> Hans Ward, Derek Mason, Musin Muhammad, Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco, <laughs> Roddy White, Keyshawn Johnson, Santana Moss, Andre Risen, Donald Driver, Sterling Sharp, who played four less seasons, has more yards than he does. Marcus Colston, Amani Toomer, some more guys here. Jordy Nelson, Plaxico Burris. Marshall Falk, who's a running back, has more receiving yards than him. Travis Kelsey, Vernon Davis, Dez Bryant, and Michael Crabtree. Ed McCaffrey, oh, who's Christian McCaffrey's dad. A lot, a lot of people might not even know who Ed McCaffrey is. TJ Hushmanzada, Jarvis Landry. He was only six, seven years in. Brandon Cooks, like you said, and you mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. 
all of those guys have more yards than Julian Edelman. And a lot of those guys I, I named, you know, some of those guys are obviously are still playing, so they aren't eligible for the Hall of Fame. But of the guys I mentioned that are eligible for Hall of Fame, he just simply his numbers simply don't add up. He's just not. He's just not. Then, Hall, I mean, you can talk we, about his post. Go ahead. Oh, and then too, we know how political the Hall of Fame is. We hadn't even mentioned the PED violations he had in his career. We not. We we you know we we haven't mentioned that. But like you said, you know it. The the politics. You know that's the reason Chad Johnson isn't in. That's why To had to wait a year. <laughs> So I mean, like, exactly. I didn't even mention Antonio. I didn't even mention Antonio Brown, who has nearly five thousand yards more than he does, and he played. He's only played in one less season than than Julian Edelman. So you know, don't talk to me, don't talk to me about Julian Edelman in the Hall of Fame. Yes, he put up some prolific numbers when no. it came to playoff time, but he also played. He also played a lot more games than a lot of more people ever did in the playoffs. He played nineteen postseason games. That's a lot of games, man. There is a lot of games, and you have. And to, he was an important. You have to attribute a lot of his on-field success to the Patriots' offensive system, too, because you know Wes Welker, Chris Hogan, Dan, Danny Amendola. We've seen a plethora of slot receivers have success in that offense. Definitely, and not not, not to take away from his skill set, he is a talented player. He's quick, uh, runs great routes. You know, short routes, and, and you know he's been. Durable to a degree. Uh, he's gonna show when he is on the field. He shows up, does what does his job, does what he's supposed to do. But he's just not Hall of Fame material, not in my eyes. I'm, I'm just sorry. You know, I've heard guys like Colin Cowherd come on the show. He's talked about Julian Edelman. He said Julian. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, I saw a clip where he said Julian Edelman was was I think was was better than Chad Ochocinco. Maybe I I might have misconstrued it, but T.J. Hushmanzada was the guest, and he was talking about Chad Johnson. He's like, if Chad's not in, there's no way Julian Edelman, in, Edelman gets in. And, you know, like I said, that's coming from T.J. Hushmanzada, who also has more yards than Julian Edelman. So I just don't – I don't see how right. he gets in. If he does get in, that's, that's going to be ridiculous if he does get in. But, you know, like I said, congratulations to him for an amazing career. I uh, wish him the best in whatever he decides to do, do next. Factual, factual. But is there anything else you want to add? Man, that's all I got. That was a good show, man. Good show. Man, I do want to add something. So I just want to say uh, thank you all for the support. Uh, but I do want to say continue to support, you know, your local black businesses, uh, wherever you may be listening from, wherever you may be. I know for me uh, in this area, uh, there's a company called Skinnish, uh, which I buy, you know, face care products from. I've actually gotten a facial from the girl who owns the company. So, like I said, I just want to say shout out to all the black-owned businesses out there. Uh, like I said, support black businesses, especially during the pandemic. You know, we're trying to, you know, black ownership is something that, you know, we all should be trying to work on. So, I do want to throw that in there. Facts, facts. Definitely hats off to all our black business and entrepreneurs. Uh, keep doing your thing. Keep moving forward. Keep, keep striving and achieving. But that's all we got for y'all today. This is episode 47 of the First and Foremost Sports Podcast. I am Jimmy Covington. And I'm the one and only, Quentin Douglas. Appreciate y'all. We out of here. All right, y'all. Deuces.